Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 316 of the show. And you know, you'd think with me having over 300 episodes, I would have I, I would have covered everything under the sun at this point in terms of personal finance and investing. No, that is why I love personal finance so much. There's always something new that you haven't uh, really, you know, kind of gone deep with or or even talked about at all on the show. And that is what we're going to be talking about uh, for this show. I have Atal Tawari back on the show. You may remember him from a previous episode of the show. Like really, I mean, if you're a longtime listener, props to you because this episode, this was episode 170 back in October of 2018. Oh, the before times, (laughs) the before times. Now, back when we did that episode, which my gosh, was uh, a while ago now, he uh, was at Vanguard Canada. So he was the CEO. CEO of Vanguard Canada. He was also employee number one of Vanguard Canada, which is actually pretty cool. And so we had a whole episode. Make sure to check it out. JessicaMorehouse.com slash 170, uh, all about index investing and ETFs and things like that. Well, a lot has changed, uh, you know, since that time. Now he has a very different role. He is now the CEO of Cult Wines Americas. And uh, he, you know, recently I've been following, I mean, we've been LinkedIn friends for a long time. And so I, I knew about this, um, but he, you know, approached me. He's like, oh, I'd love to come on the show to talk about fine wine investing. I'm like, absolutely, because that is something I know nothing about. Very interested because I love wine, but I'm, I'm certainly not I mean, I don't know, good wine, you know what I mean? Like a good wine to me is spending $20 because I'm still cheap. Um, But I love wine and I love investing. So what's not to love about this exciting topic? And honestly, you're going to love this episode. I learned so much. It is a very different market. It is. It's a whole market. Like it's a market I didn't really know existed. But just like, you know, fine art, which I do have an episode about that coming up. It is its own thing. It is an asset class. It's a very exciting episode. So you are going to to love it. But before I get to this amazing interview with Atal, well, just, hey, number one, reminder, it is currently, as of the date that this uh, episode is dropping, it's currently RSP season, which just means if you want to make an RSP contribution and make that contribution count as a deduction for your 2021 taxes, you have until March 1st to do that. So, hey, you know, reminder in case this was something that you forgot about. Uh, But also it's, you know, tax time. And, uh, you know, to talk more about how to do your taxes, let me talk about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by TurboTax Canada. It's another tax season, but things are going to be a bit different for many Canadians this year. For instance, did you know that 60% of Canadians started a side hustle in 2021? As someone who started her first side hustle a decade ago, then made it into her full-time gig, I love hearing things like this. But it could also be why I've been bombarded with tax questions over the past 12 months. Let me be real with you. If you have a side hustle on top of your day job, or if you've recently become your own boss, well, your taxes will be a bit more complicated than normal. But thanks to Turbo tax and their suite of services, no matter what tax situation you find yourself in, they've got you covered. All you have to do is go to turbotax.ca and hit the get started button. From there, they'll suggest the right tax service to best fit your needs. For example, you can use TurboTax and do your taxes yourself, or you can use their assistant review service to get a real tax expert to guide you through the platform and then review your return to make sure you don't miss anything before you file. Or if even thinking about doing your taxes gets your palms sweaty, you can also hand everything over to one of TurboTax's qualified tax experts to do it all for you with their full service option. To get a jump start on your taxes with TurboTax, Canada's number one tax software trusted by millions of Canadians for over 20 years, visit TurboTax.ca. Once again, visit TurboTax.ca to get started. 
Well, welcome back to the More Money Podcast, Atal. It's been uh, a, a while, uh, several years, uh, even since you've last been on the show. And uh, you're doing something very different. So back, you know, when you're first on the show, you were here, you were working at Vanguard, we were talking about index investing. Now I have you on the show talking about a very different uh, form of investing, investing in alternatives. Honestly, I the, part of the reason I wanted you on the show is well, also just to see <laughs> how did you make that leap. But also, I haven't really had too many people on the show talking about different ways to invest and not just, you know, I feel like you probably see this a lot online, not just cryptocurrency. Let's talk about alternatives, but actual alternatives such as wine so so excited to have you back on the show to to discuss this with me well thanks for having me uh jessica really looking forward to our conversation yeah so fill me in what uh what happened so you were the ceo of vanguard um for a very long time and uh you know making a, a very big transition to what you're doing now so you work now at cult wines uh, you're the ceo Tell us, uh, kind of, why did you make that change in career? Sure. Yeah. Um, after uh, my time at Vanguard, I was looking to do something a little bit different. My background has been with large organizations, BMO and Vanguard. And as you uh, rightly point out, I, I guess you could consider me a champion of index investing and ETFs, having started uh, both of their ETF businesses in Canada. So um, uh, don't get me wrong, those are still great investments uh, for the core of any portfolio. If you're looking for index returns, ETFs are the way to go, uh, low cost, and, and they get you the exposure you're looking for. But there's also the explore part of a, a portfolio. And um, as we've always talked about, there is room for active management. Um, and in certain spaces, it makes a lot of sense. And I happen to be in one of those spaces. So I'll, I can talk a little bit more uh, about that. But uh, just in terms of how it came about is that I had always known that fine wine as an asset class was established in Europe and Asia, but it never really been uh, promoted to any degree in North America. And I'm a, a fine wine uh, aficionado, and I always wondered why that was the case. As a former lawyer, I thought it was regulation, but as I kind of dove into it, I realized that uh, it can be done uh, under our regulations. And so I built a business plan, um, reached out to Cult Wines uh, in the UK. From my research, they appeared to be and are uh, the, the best at it in the world. And we worked out uh, a partnership which uh, has led to me uh, looking after Cult Wines growth in the Americas region, which includes the U.S. Uh, so it was a great way to marry uh, a couple of passions of mine, fine wine and asset management, uh, and also uh, a, a fun way to build a, 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 a unique asset class and, and a business in, uh, in North America. Mm -hmm. So I obviously have, I mean, I'm a, a lover of wine. I wouldn't say fine wine, let's be honest. If I'm spending 20 bucks on a bottle, that's like, oh, hey, we're spending 20 bucks on a bottle. <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I've grown. Um, but I, so when it comes to investing in wine, what do you mean? What does that look like? Obviously, we're not drinking this wine, are we? Are we? Are we drinking it? No? <laughs> Some of us are. <laughs> um, so um, Colt Wines has uh, started in 2007 in the UK, and we've got about $380 million in assets uh, to date, with uh, growth being 
terrific over uh, the last five years. Our CAGR on revenue, uh, sorry, AUM is about 28%. So growth is, is fantastic. Um, the way that we structure the investment is as an investor, you come on board just as you would with any other investment, KYC, uh KYP, your risk profile, time horizon, and objectives. And then what we do is we take that and we match your objectives with an actual portfolio of wine. So you own the wine and we manage that fine wine portfolio for you. Um, and what we found traditionally, historically, is that about 80% of our wines get sold. So they're purely investments. And about 20% clients say, hey, uh, you've got this, or I've got this wonderful case of Bordeaux uh, in my portfolio. I think rather than sell it, I'll take possession of it and enjoy it. So you uh, are able to do that with this investment. Interesting. So it's, it's sort of similar to, I guess, maybe making a withdrawal from your you know, investment account and then using that cash to buy something is like you taking the wine to drink it. Or it could be the same as like, you know, owning a stock, you own it, hope it appreciates, and then you can sell it to another investor. And that's how you would make your money off of wine. Interesting. So where is the I'm curious. So you, you build these portfolios of wine. Where is the physical wine? Where is it stored? Right. So uh, most of our assets are stored in um, professional storage in the UK. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is uh, London is the largest global market uh, for fine wine. So when it comes time to exit your positions, you're right in the center of uh, liquidity with the broadest and deepest market. It also has very efficient um connections and ties to Hong Kong, which would be the second largest market. Um, so when we uh, acquire the fine wine for our clients, we'll transport it in perfect conditions, store it um, in our facilities in the UK, which by the way are operated by an independent third party called uh, London City Bond. Uh, and LCB operates about 2 million square feet of storage space uh, across the UK. So they're experts at this, and, and we use about 24,000 square feet for um, our needs. And so we'll store it there, we'll insure it through uh, reputable uh, global brokers, and then we'll manage it for you on an active basis. Uh, so it's, it is in the UK for the most part. And um, uh, again, it's really for liquidity purposes. Mm -hmm. So as an investor, I would imagine uh, I would imagine that there's fees just like any other um, kind of investment would part of those like what, what are the what does the fee structure look like? So obviously there's like the portfolio kind of management, but also I guess storage fees for the physical wine. Yes. And so uh, as a former uh, ETF uh, yeah. uh, person uh, and having worked at uh, Vanguard, fees are very important, of course. So when you look at your investments, obviously you need to consider the, the fee levels. So um, uh, I, I'm happy to say that uh, in the alt space, uh, Colt Wines is a very reasonable fee level. Um, at uh, We have different tiers. So at the entry point at $12,500, uh, you open an account. We do all of the KYC and profiling, but it's done digitally. So and our algorithm will match the fine wines to your um, 
uh, to your profile. And then we'll manage and rebalance through our algorithm. At that level, at $12,500 to $45,000, the fee is 2.95%. That's the management fee. And what that gets you is everything I just talked about. It's the acquisition, transportation, storage costs, insurance, and then active management. Um, at the $45,000 level, the fee comes down to 2.75%. And in that case, you get a dedicated portfolio manager. So now your account is actually managed um, by one of our uh, PMs, and you have full access to the PM quarterly reviews if you like them or every six months, uh, whatever duration of reviews you'd like to have. And um, uh, really the onboarding is done in, in conjunction with your portfolio manager. So those, those are the two earlier levels. And then we have t tiers that move up from there at lower um, management fees. And at the top tier, it's 2.25%. And those are the only fees we charge. So often in alt investments, you might see a performance fee. We don't charge performance fees. And the other important thing is we don't charge any commissions on the exit of your positions. So we will sell them into the market or to merchants or to traders. Um, but uh, if we incur any commissions, we won't charge them to the client, uh, which is also why we won't sell through auction because the commissions there are, are pretty high and they'll eat right. into your returns. So yeah, I'm curious now then, what is the type of market for um, fine wines? Like, you know, it, it's, it makes sense, you know, I think to, to most of us regular investors, just, you know, if you want to buy a stock, you go on an exchange. Obviously, it's it's uh, probably not as popular fine wine since it is a very specific and expensive uh, alternative uh, investment. So how hard is it if you want to, you know, exit a position, sell some of your wine to find an investor to buy that? Is it difficult? How liquid is it? Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, One of the things that we're trying to do, obviously, is make it more of an accessible investment. Fine wine's always been something that... Uh, uh, the wealthy have been able to uh, invest in and enjoy. Um, and, and part of having the minimum at 12 and a half is to give more people an opportunity to participate in the asset class. Um, and to your question around liquidity, um, there's actually a, a pretty liquid global market, and it is a global market um, for fine wine. And it, it starts with the supply. So we would estimate that about 1% of the wine that's created every year in the world is investment grade. And that's about $4.5 billion. And so the great thing about fine wine is that the supply-demand mechanism works perfectly because there's only a finite amount made every year, but the demand is there. And as the life of the wine goes on, demand actually goes up but supply comes down. So that's where you get your price appreciation. Um, and when it comes time to exit a position, we have uh, a broad network of private uh, individuals, um, merchants, traders. And then uh, one thing I've learned a lot about over the last two years is that there's actually, a, a essentially you call it a stock exchange for wine. Um, and it too is based in London. It's called LiveX. And it was started in the year 2000. And to be a member, you have to be a professional, in other words, in the trade. And, and Cult Wines is a member, but individuals can't be. 
but all day, every day, there's over 500 merchants who are members, and they're making uh, markets in fine wines. And so uh, that would be another place that we would go to sell uh, because there's daily markets being made uh, on, on these fine wines. Amazing. So, you, you know, you mentioned fees and, you know, obviously... You know, you know this. I'm, I'm an index investor. I love a good low fee. So those fees are a little bit higher. But I guess, are you paying more to get more? What kind of rate of return are you looking at for this kind of asset class? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I'm going to answer that with the investment merits first, and then get to to um, performance. So the other great things uh, about alternatives that you know, uh, Jessica, is that they offer a lot of other benefits to an overall portfolio when you look at it holistically. So um, fine wine uh, has a number of characteristics that are great for diversification. Um, One being very low correlations to equities and with markets at all-time highs right now, that's that's a a good thing. Um, Very low volatility when compared to equities or gold or or other instruments. Um, And then uh, what us investment geeks call uh, low downside capture. So what that means is, uh, for your listeners who may not know that term, is that um, when equity markets go down a lot, fine wine doesn't go down nearly enough. And and you can show that over periods like the 2008 fiscal crisis or the first two months of last year. So in 2008, the S&P 500 was down 38%. And the fine wine index was down less than 1%. So there's a real great buffering quality to your overall portfolio. In addition to all that, it's a real asset, so a good hedge against inflation. And then you've got the opportunity for um, excellent returns. Uh, And historically, um, we've uh, since inception uh, returned about 10 to 12% per year. on on our average portfolios. Since we're separately managed accounts, what we do is we aggregate the performance of all the portfolios and create what we call the cult wines index. And again, uh, since inception around that, last year we had quite a good year. It was about 16%. So you can, uh, over the long term, have some some pretty good returns as well. Pretty stable. I was curious about that. I'm like, what kind of indexes exist for, you know, fine wine trading? Do all of the kind of participants, like the big companies like uh, Call it Wines, have to create their own index? Is there an index, uh, like, you know, more of a broad market wine index? <laughs> and there is. <laughs> We've oh, got an yeah. index for that. <laughs> um, that's right. So LiveX, the, uh, I call it a stock exchange, but obviously it's trading actual wine. Um LiveX in London uh, creates what are basically the accepted indexes for the industry, and you see them quoted in Reuters and Bloomberg and and other um, financial press. And so um, using the pricing that they have, obviously, in all of these fine wines, they've created a number of indexes. And and the one that is most broadly quoted would be called the LiveX 1000 and that's uh, an index made up of the 1,000 mostly traded fine wines in the world. Um, and so that would be your benchmark. Uh, from there, they have a number of sub-indices by region. So, for example, last year, 
um, Champagne was the region that performed the best of all uh, fine wine regions with uh, about a 41% return. And then you can (laughs) go down to various other um, regions. uh, And uh, so there is a dispersion amongst regions, which also is why we preach, just like any other investment company, diversification. Yeah, don't just invest in champagne, maybe also red wine and other things. So actually, that's my other question. What kind of products are we talking about when you're building this wine portfolio? How how exactly is that built? So we have an investment committee of which I'm a member, a global investment committee, and we meet quarterly. And we consider all of our qualitative and quantitative inputs um, into creating a benchmark portfolio allocation based on your risk profile. Um, So that's where it all starts. And uh, right now for our average portfolio, we would have uh, 80% in um, French wines. So Burgundy, Bordeaux, Champagne, probably 10% in Italian wines. And then the remaining 10% would be what we call the rest of the world. So US, Australia, Germany, Spain. Um, and that would be an optimal, optimal mix. And what we do is every quarter we'll review that uh, based on our data, um, our uh, macro views on the pandemic or climate change issues, uh, tariffs. Those are important to look at as well. They all impact um, the, the consumption and purchase of wine. Uh, as well as pricing. So we'll build it with a benchmark and then our PMs, our portfolio managers, will then manage the accounts towards the um, the benchmark that is set by the investment committee. Um, on average, a portfolio would have about a 20% turnover uh, per year. And, and we think that's a, a pretty reasonable amount of turnover because we do counsel our clients to take a minimum of three to five years of a view in terms of their whole periods. Uh, we don't have any lockups. We don't have any whole periods, so you can exit whenever you wish. But to really give wine a chance to appreciate, you should think of this as kind of a three to five year, five year ideally uh, investment. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the advice that's given for even if you're going to buy an individual stock, it's like you're not really going to see, you may not see something right away, but if you stick with it for three to five years, that's kind of the the goal. So it makes a lot of sense. Very, um, you know, it, it all kind of connects. I almost kind of feel, yes. I was just thinking when you're talking, I'm like, I, I feel like sometimes the idea of just investing, especially in the stock market, seems so complicated. But um, the how you're explaining investing in fine wine, it's like, well, that's a product I think most people can understand. I understand what a bottle of wine looks like. Stock is like this thing that doesn't really exist because it's not a tangible thing. Everything, but everything that goes into investing in fine wine is uh, applicable to like investing in the stock market. So I almost kind of feel like maybe start with like just understanding how the fine wine market kind of works. And then you might actually be able to kind of connect the dots to how does, you know, investing in just like, you know, yeah, ETFs or mutual funds or stocks kind of works. That's just like some thought of like, oh, yeah, I feel like sometimes we need that thing that makes sense. And that's why like wine, that makes a lot of sense. It's a tangible thing. You can drink it or you can trade it for a profit or something like that. I'm curious when you were talking about you know, the index and, and different regions, are there certain regions that always kind of perform, you know, well, or does it depend on like trends and what people, the, the, just the demand? And then even going a bit micro, are there certain wineries that are, you know, I guess similar to like a stock, like there are certain companies that do well um, inside their industry? 
Yes, uh, and absolutely, I agree with you, Jessica. You know, the basics of investing are important for everyone to to know, and that's why uh, uh, what you do and others in the personal finance area that are educating um, everybody around finances is very important because that that's your that's your building block, and then you can uh, kind of go from there. So, um, it, yes, and in, in terms of your question on um, regions producers. Traditionally, the um, the market has been dominated by French wines, and mm, and yeah. uh, there's a number <laughs> of reasons for that. <laughs> exactly, and and as I mentioned, even our benchmark portfolio has 80 percent in uh, the the three main uh, French wine regions. So um, yes, there's a there's a there's an existing historical market for many of those wines, and we do when we do our research, um, we do consider a lot of inputs, um, including who is the producer and what is their brand, uh, how have they generally historically performed, how has that particular vineyard performed. Um, And so those types of inputs go into our decision-making around um, uh, establishing positions for clients. Uh, What's really neat, though, is that that category that I mentioned called the rest of the world um, has been growing. So back to LiveX, uh, they've got great trading data. And uh, over the last few years, Bordeaux, which had traditionally been the biggest um, area for wine investing and trading, has been coming down in percentage. So last year, Bordeaux had its lowest percentage of trading ever at 38%. Um, and the rest of the world category over the last 10 years has come up from about 0.8% to 6%. So what we're seeing is a broadening out amongst investors when you see certain prices of iconic wines becoming stratospheric. Um, the, the value in terms of price appreciation may not actually be as high as finding the new two iconic uh, Chilean producers whose um, wines have been appreciating in the hundreds of percents over the last couple of years. So um, that is uh, something that we're watching, and and it's really uh, interesting to see. Um, And from our investment management standpoint, identifying some of those up-and-comers that we know are going to continue with those types of returns uh, is important so that mm-hmm. we can add that into client portfolios as well. Mm-hmm. How do you, I, I'm wondering, um, and maybe this just has to do with, you know, the demand of the customer, but how are these fine wines specifically selected? Like there's, you know, these producers of wine that probably produce a lot of different wine. Some goes into just our regular LCBO or, you know, liquor store. And some is, you know, I, I'm always just curious, you know, whenever I'm even in the section of the liquor store, I'm more like there's ones that are super expensive and ones that are cheaper. What is really the difference? So what constitutes a fine wine? What does that actually mean? Yeah, great question. Um, there's not really an accepted standard industry definition for what a fine wine is. And um, so we apply essentially what I've just um, mentioned, a whole bunch of parameters around a particular wine to determine what we call in our analysis a quality price ratio, which um, we use our own internal scoring system. And if we believe that the price of the wine 
currently is at a, a good price to enter and there's sufficient room for appreciation um, to, to meet our clients' objectives, we'll invest in it. Um, that said, uh, often when you think of what is a, um, a fine wine, um, there is an element, uh, as we've said, to the producer um, and the track record of the wine. And, and that's, that's an important starting point. Um, often there's sort of intangibles like the prestige of the wine and the, and the reputation. Um, but in terms of tangibles, there's also issues around what is the production level? Like how much of this wine could even be circulated around the globe? Um, and uh, is it scarce? If so, that helps in terms of uh, investment potential. Um, and then it will even get into more granular um, analysis around the vintage year and comparing that to comparable vintage years, critic scores. If, if the critics rate them quite highly, there's more of a chance that they'll appreciate in, in um, price. So again, a lot goes into it and, and there's not really a standard definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious too about, yeah, the vintage year. T- typically when I think uh, of a fine wine, I do think of, you know, when you've seen movies, someone who has a huge, you know, wine cellar, and then they have, you know, wine that's hundreds of years old. But I, I always kind of thought, uh, you know, with wines, and I'm not an expert at all about wine, but don't some of these wines not last through hundreds of years? Like, what is the, I guess, the typical age of a fine wine in, in some of the portfolios that you offer? Right. So that's why, uh, Jessica, we we do ask investors to think of it at a minimum of a five-year term because um, y- you can generalize about wine prices and they, they will appreciate and then plateau. And then as uh, consumption increases and demand stays the same or increases, they'll appreciate again and they might plateau and then appreciate. Um, so for us, uh, we're we're very cognizant of the risk-reward ratio for holding wine. So to your point, yes, at some point, um, wine is going to mature and it'll start declining. So you don't want to be holding positions to that to that point. Um, so when you look at our $380 million uh, of wine, which is well over a million bottles, most of them uh, are within the last three to 20 years of vintages Um, because of that reason at some point we will uh, make the call that it is better to sell and move into a a more recent vintage than to hold on for too long Um, so that that's the investment side of of your brain on the wine drinking side of the brain if you're a buyer um, you're going to love it. You'll say, wow, the, the, you know, this wine's been stored professionally for 20 years. It's probably good for another 20. Um, so I'll buy it now and uh, consume it over the next 15 or 20 years. Uh, but that's the consumption mm-hmm. side versus the investment side. Interesting. Are there any bottles that are traded, but because of their vintage year or of some sort of historical significance that it is literally just a commodity, you would never actually drink it because if you opened it, it'd probably be vinegar or something? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in the wine world, generally, the answer is yes. Um, Mm. But 
But from our perspective, the answer is no, because um, mm. we're not out there buying 1947 Cheval Blanc, which mm-hmm. um, when, you, when you talk about movies, there's the, the famous Ratatouille movie, yeah. and uh, <laughs> that's the wine that is served to the, uh, the serious food critic, um, and, and it's uh, you know one of the best wines ever made. Uh, but we're not out buying it uh, because uh, really two reasons. One is... Uh, we we need to ensure that whatever we're buying is in fact authentic and that it has perfect provenance um, because uh, we we can't we can't obviously for a reputational and and uh, other reasons be uh, susceptible to fraudulent bottles and when you get into some of those really old ones you have to be very careful um, so. Uh, that's one, and then second is uh, the 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 risk reward that we've talked about isn't there in those really old bottles. Those are the ones that people should buy to drink. Um, and then there's wines from the 1800s that very few people try, and and when you do hear about it, uh, it it's uh, well, it lasted for about 10 seconds and then tasted like vinegar, yeah. <laughs> depending <laughs> on the wine. <laughs> yeah, that actually does remind me. I did uh, this was years ago, but and there's several documentaries uh, about things like this, but fraud in the you know fine wine industry because mm-hmm. I guess if you don't use a reputable company like uh, yours and, and others, if you do more of that, because I, I honestly, before really chatting with you, I didn't really realize that there were whole companies. This was a whole market right. um, because obviously I'm not the, you know, probably customer uh, yet, maybe in the future, you never know. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I always thought it was more of a private um, situation where you'd have to find some sort of dealer and he would, you know, but there there was a lot of fraud. I remember watching some documentary about some guy and he made a ton of money just scamming people and like literally putting the labels on, on yes. wine and stuff like that yeah. and doing that. Um, so I guess that's another thing. I mean, that's kind of, I'd say the, the, the thing with, for every kind of investment, but also specifically alternatives, because it is a bit different to make sure that you are protected. So I, I'm curious what kind of protections are in, in place? Like I was just thinking like, you know, you store the wine, the wine is stored. What if a bottle breaks? What happens? <laughs> right. I guess you yeah. said there was insurance. Yeah. yeah. That's a, a really good question. And, um, the the fraud you're referring to was Rudy Kurniawan and uh, mm, yes uh, yes it was it was a large scale fraud um, and and unfortunately in the industry there's been some of those uh, that have happened and so for us um, you know we have very strict governance and controls um, to mitigate against that and um, in our 14 years uh, with the well over million uh, bottles. Uh, you know, maybe a hundred thousand or more cases. We've never had one incident uh, of fraud or any complaints of fraud. So, um, we 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 do a number of things, and the main thing is uh, trying to source as much of the wine as we can directly from the producer, because there you you've guaranteed that it's coming right from the producers' um, cellars, and there was no opportunity for fraud. Then we go out to the next level, which would be brokers and negotiants, merchants. These are people with hundreds of years of history um, and that we've uh, worked with, have references. Um, Obviously, other people in the trade uh, will know all about them. Um, And so we go there. And uh, as I mentioned, like rarely would we ever purchase on auction um, uh, unless we were sure that all of the papers that come with the wines um, uh, are uh, authentic so that you know 
where they came from, how they were stored, where they were purchased, um, those sorts of things. Uh, if we ever had a fraudulent bottle, again, which we have not, um, our policy is clear in the account agreements that we would replace it uh, if we could in the market or uh, credit the client with um, with the, the then value of that wine. Um, insurance covers, um, doesn't cover fraud, but it covers uh, uh, breakage and uh Things like if the, the sprinkler system goes off in the uh, storage facility, it'll cover uh, replacement value then. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we Has do cover anything like that ever happened where there is like a sprinkler system or something or like a natural disaster? Uh, not to us, but uh, certainly in the wine world, yes. Um, and if you think of uh, maybe a, an example in California where there were earthquakes a few years back and unfortunately whole cellars disappeared um and uh it was a, it was a sad situation and there's floods um in germany this year there were floods in wine regions and and, and those can uh, obviously uh, very much damage fine wine and, and labels and um re- result in a reduction in value but um uh you know fortunately for us uh, our storage is uh, as I mentioned, through LCB. And uh, they have a lot of World War II um, storage spots that they've taken over. And, and ours is a hangar that was used by the uh, 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 the Royal Air Force in the UK in oh, wow. World War II. So it, it's it's pretty solid and, uh, yeah. and pretty safe. Oh, amazing. Well, I guess my last question is, who would be the typical customer? Because you did mention there's, there's kind of a, a minimum uh, investment that you'd have to make. So who is investing in this? Not just, I'm sure, billionaires, but probably some regular people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, regular people as well. Um, it, our, our clients run the gamut. So we have high net worths, super high net worths, and then we have um, you know, uh, professionals who've just started out uh, who wanted to you know, have a, um, the, the, the benefits of fine wine in their portfolio. They may or may not know a lot about wine, but they understand the investment merits of it. Um, and one of the things that we're doing more of now is along those lines. So we, we refreshed our brand. Uh, we, we revamped our website and launched in October. Um, looks great. And we've created sections on what's called Wine Academy. So you can go on there and actually learn about the history of regions or particular producers um, that we work with. And um, we've increased the number of client experiences that we're providing. Obviously, with COVID, it's it's a little difficult because you, know, you can't really have in-person uh, events. But, um, but we've had some virtual ones. And in parts of the world where you can have... Uh, actual events we've had small ones and as as things open up more in Canada um, and the U.S. will will also increase that uh, as well for clients and prospects and so it, it's it's as you kind of mentioned at one point um, quite frankly I love ETFs but it, it's a lot more fun engaging with your wine portfolio than it is yeah, your that uh, more ETF portfolio. 
<laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh. That's, uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay. My new goal is to make enough money that I can, you know, easily include some fine wine in my portfolio. That's Perfect. a new dream, right? <laughs> I love the idea of when I want to cash out, I get wine. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of the best features of the investment. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, well, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you about this. I, I definitely want to look at the Wine Academy. That sounds like one academy I would love to, you know, actually get educated on. That sounds so much fun. Um, where can people find more information, uh, you know, about this? You mentioned the Academy and, and Cult Wines if they want to kind of just explore this area more. Sure. Um, so it's cultwines.com. You can go on the site and uh, uh, you can take a look. We also, by the way, do some incredible research reports. Um, I would put the reports right up with any uh, equity brokerage. Um, so we have analysts, we have CFAs, we have data scientists, um, and we put together some pretty good stuff um, on the regions um, in particular, producers in particular, as well as uh, recently we've put out our 2022 outlook as well as our Q4 report. So you can just go on the site, download them and, and read and, and uh, it's, a, it's a wealth of information. So it's a good way to learn. And of course, uh, uh, if you want to chat with uh, myself or anybody, uh, you can get us through the website and I'm happy to spend time with uh, anyone who's interested. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time coming on the show uh, once again to talk about uh, fine wine investing and a different type of alternative because there's there's a lot of great alternative investments out there um, that are, are pretty cool that I think a lot of people don't know about. So thanks again for joining me. Thanks for uh, having me, uh, Jessica. Great to, to be on your uh, show again and uh, uh, look forward to the next time. And, and when you're ready to invest, uh, let me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> And that was episode 316 of the More Money Podcast with Atal Tawari. Make sure to, you know, if you want to learn more about, you know, wine investing and fine wine and who wouldn't, it's just such a beautiful place to be. And it's where, I mean, honestly, when I was talking to Atal, I was just dreaming of vineyards and traveling and drinking wine and also making money. Like that's just my, it's my new fantasy of being a, like being able to uh, invest in fine wine. That's my bougie you know, future self is what I, that's what I dream of now. Um, anyways, if you want to learn more about it, make sure to go to wineinvestment.ca. Uh, also make sure to follow Cult Wines. You can follow them on uh, Instagram at Cult Wines. You can also find them on LinkedIn and Facebook also under Cult Wines. But again, uh, you can go to wineinvestment.ca to find more information about all of that good stuff. Now, as always, I have some things that I would like to share with you, some updates, some life updates as well. Um, so don't go away. Just a few words about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by TurboTax Canada. So some of you loyal podcast listeners may already know this, but last year I hired my sister to work as my virtual assistant. She has since expanded her virtual assisting business to work with other clients, which makes me beam with pride that there's another entrepreneur in the family. But one thing I forgot about was tax season. This will be her first year doing her taxes as a self-employed person, which adds on a new level of stress and complexity already inherent in doing your taxes. 
Luckily, she'll be using TurboTax Assist and Review Self-Employed. This way, she'll get the important experience of filing her first self-employed tax return, but get some much-needed guidance and advice from a qualified tax expert. And as her business grows and her taxes become even more complicated, like mine, she can use TurboTax Full Service Self-Employed. This allows her to hand everything off to a tax expert to do it all for her, saving her valuable time she could instead put towards billing clients or finding new ones. Does this situation hit close to home? Well, it might, because 60 percent of Canadians started a side hustle in 2021, and this will be their first year reporting self-employed income and business expenses on their tax return. Luckily, no matter your tax situation, TurboTax is here to help. To get a jump start on your taxes with TurboTax, Canada's number one tax software trusted by millions of Canadians for over 20 years, visit TurboTax.ca. Once again, visit TurboTax.ca to get started. Okay, first and foremost, uh, you know, reminder, if you ever want to check out the show notes for any episode, uh, they are all at jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. You can also, if you know the episode number, which it always is, you know, there, you know, wherever you're listening, it's on the episode title. Um, you know, for this example, for this episode, since for episode 316, you would go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 316. So if you want to learn more about um, the guests that I had on or the topic that we explored, some links that we mentioned or resources, that's where you can find all of that. So for this episode, again, it's jessicamorehouse.com house.com slash 316. And since I mentioned resources, in case you don't know, if you're new to the show, um, well, I've got a free resource library, jessicamorehouse.com slash resources is where you can find all of that good stuff. Again, it's free. Uh, I've got some budget spreadsheets in there. I've got some guides. I've got a, a past webinars. You know, I did a webinar a few weeks ago. If you missed it, that's okay. It is in there. It is in there for you to watch if you want to. Uh, it was all about goal setting and, and getting uh, your life together for the new, you know, for the new year. I mean, I know it's February, but still kind of the new year. Um, so you can check all of that out at jessicamorehouse.com slash resources. Uh, like I mentioned, I think in a previous episode, maybe it was last week, I'm, I've got a lot of things, exciting things happening. They're just not ready yet, right? So I'm building a new website. I'm getting some new headshots, uh, improving my uh, investing course. FYI, I've got an investing course, which I'll uh, mention in a, a moment, uh, updating my budget spreadsheets. Everything's getting a bit of a overhaul. So exciting things to come. Just not ready yet. We're not there yet, but it's coming. It's coming. I would say, I think all that in the next month. Let's just be honest, Jessica. I always like give myself ridiculous timelines and then just don't make them. So let's just say a month. And then who knows what's after that? I mean, I've got, I finally, oh, here's the other life update that I, I was very excited to share with you. Not that you care. You may care, you may not, but it was a big deal for me. Um, so, you know, you know, uh, if you have been listening to the show, I recently moved into my new house and we had to do some work on it. Not a, a crazy amount, but we had to kind of redo the stairs and get new carpets and all that kind of stuff. I am telling you, it is crazy the difference of just getting new carpets. Like it's a new freaking house. Like it feels like we're in a new brand new house, just the carpets alone. So very excited. Also, like I know who likes carpets because everyone's just like, oh, hardwood floors. Carpets are great. Par carpets are great, especially when you live in a hundred year old house in Toronto and your house is slanted. <laughs> Also, all houses basically that are this old in Toronto are slanted. So carpets kind of, uh, you know, make it a little bit easier to not think it's so slanted. The doors will tell you, though, all of our doors are a bit. We have to kind of cut some of the bottom off because some of them don't close properly. Fun stuff. Anyways, 
that why that is you should care maybe it doesn't matter to you but why i care is because this means i'm finally back in my house finally set up my home office um and working on making that nice and hopefully i can make a my dream of having this we have this kind of weird bonus room that's like a weird room in the basement with no windows but i think that would be a great uh youtube studio so i'm gonna work on trying to make that out and, and hopefully making some new videos i have it in my mind that i'm gonna make um a video very soon we'll see if that happens my i, I don't know we'll see i just don't i don't want to put too much pressure on myself because I, I got a lot of projects going on deadlines but day hey, that's that's the plan um so fyi i've got a youtube channel if you don't know about it jessicamorehouse.com slash youtube is where you can find all that also as of me recording this which um is you know a few days uh, before i release this episode um i am so close to getting to 10,000 instagram followers so if you don't follow me on instagram please let's do this together be part of uh, this celebration of me getting to 10k please uh just uh, follow me at jessica i morehouse i often uh, i'm restarting really doing my amas and so you know if you ever have questions i like doing amas on instagram so that's where you can kind of get your question answered um so that's the excitement in my life honestly the carpets was the biggest deal it was a big deal it's a big deal <laughs> oh, also expensive yeah it's not cheap being a homeowner let me tell you so i'm working really hard working really hard to make the the money to pay for all of the things yeah but hey, gotta love the carpets. Gotta love them. Um, what else is going on? Let me see. Let me see. Anything? Oh, yeah. I mentioned uh, I have an investing course. If you're not aware of it, it's called Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. This course is specifically for Canadians because, you know, the majority of you listening are Canadian. Uh, and I am also Canadian. Hello. Um, and so if you want to learn about investing, this is a course specifically on how to get started with passive investing, like I talk often on the show. Um, that is, you know, the course for you. If you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash WBB or the show notes, or just go to jessicamorehouse.com, you'll be able to find a link to it. You can find more information about the curriculum and you can apply to potentially be a student for the course if it's the right fit for you. Okay, I think that is it for me. Um, but like I mentioned, I've got some really, really, oh, one last thing, reminder, in case you didn't listen to, you know, previous episodes this season, I am giving away a ton of books uh, that have been featured on the show, you know, recent book, I'm giving away uh, Kamiko Love's uh, new book, she was on the show last week, uh, My Money, My Way, uh, jessicamorehouse.com slash contest. I know sometimes I mention, hey, there's a new book, and then like, you'll check, and then it's like the day that the episode um, airs, and it's not there. It's because I literally manually have to like update that page, and sometimes... I forget and then it's like later in the day that I remember. So that's why. So check, it is all there. All of it's updated. So go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest is where you can find all that information. Okay, I'm gonna let you go. Big shout out to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout. And I will see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. Have a good rest of your week and weekend. See you next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.